it's Melissa. It's Real History. It's the 30th of March, 2023. And today I am joined by Giovanni. Are you there, Giovanni? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Tell me where you are right now. Right now, I am in my semi-truck in Midden, Nevada. I have an appointment tomorrow morning at 5 down the road, so I've got a couple <laughs> days off. So you're you're in your truck, your semi truck. Um, what? what yeah. I don't know anything about trucks really. Tell me about it. Okay, it's an um, eighteen wheeler. Um, it's a newer model. It's a two thousand and nineteen uh, Freightliner. It's, they're not like old, you know, stick shifts. It's like an automatic. The inside is really nice. It's like a cabin almost on the inside. You have a heater. You have an area to cook. I have bunk beds, like I could have a friend here if I wanted to, and um, I have a pull-up bar and a dip bar inside of my truck. I work out a lot, and then I'll go and do burpees on the outside of my truck. And um, So all of this stuff me, that you're talking about, the cooking, is that all what you'd call the cab? Yeah, it's, it's in the cab, so like you have a spot where you sit and drive, and it's a newer truck, so it's an automatic, and it's real nice and comfortable and smooth, and then behind me is the cab, so I've got like a microwave, which I don't use because I boil everything in water type of stuff, and um, a refrigerator, a bed, and then a bunk bed up on top, and then some cabinets, put my food and some clothes in, and then I built a pull-up bar up top, and then I have a dip bar up on the uh, top bunk. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, to, to me, this is, like, really comfortable and really nice. Like, this would be, like, you know, a suite in a ho hotel. I'm, it's private. It's quiet. And when I have a day off, it's nice because I can, you know, I work out a lot. And then I go inside and I read and watch videos and just really separate myself from the outside world. And th this job, I've been doing nonstop for now four years to pay for a custody battle. And um, it's literally probably saved my life because it, it gives me the ability to, you know, stay moving, to stay away from people. And I'm always traveling. I, I don't stay in one spot for too long. Like when I'm working, I may pick up a load like tomorrow in Nevada and drive to New York. And so for five days, I'll be doing like 650 to 700 miles a day. I stop at the end of the night. I do my workouts. And then I eat and go to sleep. And I wake up and just do it over again until I make it to my destination. And it just time goes by. And most importantly, it keeps me out of the mix. It really has helped, you know, get through all of this COVID stuff and it would be a blessing, like a Christian person would say, it's a blessing that I can do this job, you know. Mm -hmm. That's uh, an, kind of a neat life in the truck, we'll come back to it, but I'm, I'm curious yeah. too, just a little bit of your background and maybe, you know, just a little bit, a little bit of your story. Oh, God, it's, <clears throat> I was, um, okay, I was born in Lithuania in Kanos. Uh, my mom is Ashkenazi Jewish. My dad is from Italy, and he came up to that part of the, um, like the Baltic area to work on. They were building railroads in Lithuania and uh, Estonia and Latvia. And he met my mom. They had me. And um, this was dur during the Soviet Union. 
And because he wasn't from there, she left with him back to Italy, and then they moved from Italy to America. And so I came to America when I was like three and a half or four. Mm-hmm. And we settled on the you know the East Coast. Like I've lived all up and down the East Coast. And then we kind of worked our way out west. And then in junior high and high school, um, I was you know, kind of you know ended up in a California. Mm-hmm. And God bless it you. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah <so. laughs> Did like your my, mom and my? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Did your mom and dad stay together? No, I had a really, really, really like nightmare uh, childhood. Like everything bad that could happen to a child happened to me, except like I wasn't molested or anything. And I say that because I've met people that have had that mm-hmm. happen and they're just destroyed. And mm-hmm. so I, I don't. I, my life was really rough, but it was nothing compared to somebody that suffered through something like that. And uh, my dad was, um, you know, he was a he was a street guy. He made money. He 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 worked. Legal jobs, and he did illegal things. Uh, my mom got into drugs, and it was really hectic. Like, I literally, I, I was a ward of the court at a really young age. I never technically got in trouble. Like, I never broke any laws until I was, like, 14. I stole something from a store. But it was really weird because, like, you know, I, I was in CPS and all these things because of my family, and uh, it was really weird because I I didn't break any laws, but I went through the court system starting, you know, at five. I've been through it my whole life. And it was really weird because, like, I, they treated me how they would treat a criminal. And, and I was, um, you know, I was in the custody of the, you know, the system because of the broken home situation. And um, it was just a really rough ride. And, and so... It, it was a little bit better on the West, East Coast, but when we went out to the West Coast, it, it was even worse. And so it was just a really rough life. I barely went to school when I was younger. Like, I, you know, from kindergarten to high school, I probably went to school for, like, three years straight total, you know. so That's uh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, Did your mom and dad have other children? I have an older sister who's, like, you, you know how we, we call people normies and, like, you know, like, just... Mm-hmm. My my sister is like 100% normie, and I'm like mm-hmm. 100% like I was a, you know awake at a young age and just grew up completely different than she did. She had a rough life also, but I ended up you know like getting the rougher end of it. Like I said, I was you know in group homes and foster homes and juvenile detention places and like boys ranch and and I didn't really get to know her very much because I was literally gone from like six years old until I was 18 Mm -hmm. and I would pop in and out of you know their lives and um it was just always hectic it it it, it, at that point when we moved out to California my mom told him my dad and he ended up having to leave the country because he had a warrant out for his arrest and um so he went to Albania, where they don't have an extradition treaty, and so <laughs> a woman's wrath, you know. And so, anyways, so he had to leave the country. We ended up with my mom in like li- literally. It was so bad that like my sister and I are lucky to be alive. Like, like because of her drugs. Because of her drugs and the people she brought us around, like 
I've got hundreds of stories, but like when, when I was four and a half, uh, we were on, we were on like the outskirts of the city, and she threw me out of a car and left me out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know, kind of in the country. Anyways, um, someone tried to kidnap me, and I had to like run for my life, and like I ran into someone's house, like ran through their screen door, and like it was insane. So it like. Literally, stuff like that happened all the time under my mom's watch. Like, you mm-hmm. never knew, like, you know, like, one time I was left in a drug house when I was six, and I was almost killed by the guy's pit bulls who he, you know, locked up in a room. They left me alone in the house, and for, like, four hours, I was battling pit bulls until they got home, and, like, I was on top of the refrigerator. It was just, like, stories like that happened to me throughout my life with my mom she was um she wasn't a nice person you know she was very psychopathic and um so i learned at a very young age how to survive like literally like if if i was five and i was with my mom and we were any like if she took us somewhere i didn't have the brain of a child like when after i almost got kidnapped i didn't think like a child anymore i was always like looking for, you know, escape routes and safety zones and places I could run to and hide, like, all throughout the day when I was mm-hmm. with my mom. Because mm-hmm. you could end up you could end up anywhere with someone like that that's high on drugs. They're hanging out with, you know, bikers and gangsters and street people and just you're bouncing around. And so um, I had to grow up really fast. And because I wasn't strong enough or big enough to defend myself physically, I had to rely on the fox. You know, I had to know how to avoid, avoid the traps and the pitfalls and the danger zones. And I had to, you know, if someone gave me a bad vibe or bad energy or, you know, like I, I had to look at people and make a determination on whether or not, you know, they were dangerous or safe because I may get left alone with that person. And if I do and they turn out to be a creep or a weirdo, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? You know, and so... It was mm-hmm. um, it was rough growing up, and then around nine, CPS got involved. I would just bounce in and out of that world. And CPS for oh. people who may not know or aren't American, it CPS is Child Protective Services. It was real. Like I said, it was really weird because I I didn't do anything like breaking the law. It was you know like you know when you're on CPS like let's just say like. My mom's sister, I think one time called CPS because she was worried about our safety. They treated us, well, not me. My sister would always be with other family people, but they, they would treat you like a criminal and like they would take you to a hall and then they would take you to court. They would shackle you, you know, like, like they do to murderers when they're going to court for, you know, uh, killing somebody. So at eight or nine years old, you know, I'm, you know, in, juvenile detention facilities going to court in leg shackles and leg irons oh my goodness it was really bizarre like it was really weird and my mom would like show up to these hearings because of the cps issue and she you know my my mom was a drug addict psychopath and so she would turn the tables and, and make it out to be like oh he's out of control it's his fault or he did this or he did that and so I'd never gotten in trouble per se, and so I just ended up in this um, this juggernaut, this odyssey of the system. And so, like, I was always seeing 
judges and, and district attorneys and public defenders and all these people that are presiding over me as a little child, I didn't understand how evil the system was, but I, because I grew up in a way to where I had to know if somebody was a, you know, a bad person and, and I could intuitively pick up on their energy and their, and their body movements and, you know, and, and what I noticed about all the people that worked in the system at the higher levels, like in the courts and stuff, these people were just demonic to me, you know, and, and they had no, uh, love or compassion or, you know, it, it was, it was, they were feeding a system, a beast system. And, um, I was introduced to that at a really early age. It was just creepy, you know, cause I, it, like, you know, you would get a public defender and they would have a DA and a judge and, and, you know, they, they would do things to try to put me in places and homes and all these, you know, and it was just, it was really bizarre. It's really hard to explain, but if like the system and how evil it is, whether it's juvenile or adult or child protective services or criminal, they're all connected. Family court. It's just it's it's a creepy place. And um, I spent most of my childhood in and out of those places. Like when I did get out, and they re- would release me to my mom, maybe that week she was. Um, feeling like a mom and you know wanted to take care of her children you know maybe she was really high on drugs and felt good and then she would just take us and we would disappear somewhere and wherever we touched down at the people we were around were really rough people you know like i've seen people shot and stabbed my dad was involved in you know kind of the the underworld type you know black market you know just it, it was just really weird because um I saw things and was around people that, um, you know, most children shouldn't have to go around. But I learned a lot about life and how to survive and how to, most importantly, you know, figure things out to, you know, because I may end up in a situation to, to where my life is in danger. And, and these things started happening when I was like four. And so it was a rough life growing up. I never went to school, like I literally went to school out of 12 years, probably like three years out of 12 years. Once I was a teenager, I was still in and out of these places, but whenever I was home, you know, I was running around on the streets, you know, I'd been shot. Like at 14, I was making a living stealing cars and robbing houses and, you know, just doing street stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and it was just... It was sad because I, in a way, had to do it to, like, get a place to sleep that night or, you know, like, when I was six or seven, I would go into people's houses with my mom and steal food from them, cans of food and stuff, because, you know, I never knew when I was going to get to eat. I was mal, you know, I was malnutrition. I knew the next day I wasn't going to school. I, I could end up in upstate New York and then the very next day we could be in, um, New Jersey, you know, and then, and then next week we could be down in Florida. It was just, and so everywhere I went, everything I do, it did. Um, I was like this little, uh, I was a detective. I was a fox. I was, you know what I mean? I was <laughs> always doing things to prepare myself for the worst case scenario. Well, there's yeah. a couple of things you talked about once in a phone conversation that you were talking about things that kind of defy normal explanation that you had experienced. Um, oh, yeah. people, people that you thought 
had some kind of demonic element about them. And, you know, that was the way that you described it. And then you also talked about developing some psychic ability. And I wondered if you wanted to talk about any of that. Because the way you described it to me on the phone was that these kinds of things both your awareness of some of these abilities and some of the experiences that happened to you, you were pretty young. How it all started, like, uh, growing up, I was always intuitive and clairvoyant, and I attracted, uh, you know, paranormal and poltergeist and phenomenon type activity to where, like, people's parents didn't want me at their house or around their children because like pictures would fly off the wall or just really weird things, unexplainable things would happen. Some of this stuff, you know, it can sound so fantastical and far out, but Alan told me about some similar kinds of things that happened, uh, you know, with him or people that he was around, and things literally, you know, moved, flew off the wall, and priests had to get involved, you know, and there, there, were, there were a lot of strange, there are things that we don't understand in this world. When you're saying Alan experienced those things, like I also have, and what I've noticed is that, like like with my mom, bad things happened around her. You know what I mean? Like, in when I got a little bit older and started to understand things, like I would, like I would say she was more demonically possessed. Like when you look at her symptoms and the things she did, and like really bizarre, crazy stuff. You know, and um. I just noticed, like, when really what? bad, scary... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I'm just kind of curious why you would characterize it that way than just to say she was a person who made bad choices and she was a drug addict. I mean, what was it about her behavior that made you think that there was a, a supernatural because, like, or preternatural element? I remember one time <clears throat> when I was five, she came out, and, and this is before, like, internet and, and like you know i started to read and like you know that there was no information about ghosts and demonic possessions when i was five you know what i mean and i didn't know anything about it but i i remember things and when i got older and i you know was able to look into stuff um i would put two and two together you know and, and you start piecing this out but i remember one time she uh she came out and it was kind of like Alan's story where he said that lady came floating down the steps. I had a mm-hmm. similar situation with my mom where she was in the kitchen and it looked like something was controlling her, right? Like inside of her controlling her. Uh, describe that. Sick. If you can describe that for me, do. Um, she was in the kitchen and she was standing there not looking directly at me, but she was like, you know, just looking in my direction. And she was empty. There, there was nothing in her. There was no life in her. And her mouth was almost like sagging down like, you know, and then she was looking with a blank stare into nothing. And I'm like looking up at her. And I, I, I'm like, she looks 
dead, you know. And as I'm looking at her, you got her hair starts moving like <clears throat> in a movie, you know, where like you know, it just her hair looked like it was blowing it blowing in the wind. Her face started to do like it wasn't like morphing into like a monster, but it was doing like sh- shadows, and it was like her eyes got real dark. And I looked down, and she had no feet. And it was solid black around her feet. And then, you know, when I got older and I started to look into this, um, I would hear stories about shapeshifters. And people think a shapeshifter is something that turns into, like, a little, you know, turtle creature and runs off. But it's more when somebody is possessed they change meaning like their eyes go black and then their their face looks like somebody they're not you know and then all these little subtleties happen that is what i witnessed it was just really bizarre and, and i i just noticed things like that with her and then like it would stop and then she would be right back to her normal self mm-hmm. whereas like five minutes before it it, it it looked like you know she had no life in her and her body literally started like morphing and moving around and her hands got, you know, bigger and her eyes turned black and And so when I got older and I started to look into this stuff and, and then the internet came out, then I started to listen, you know, even like with Alan you go back. I have a photographic memory, and I'm very intuitive. You're able to put things together, and you're able to see things that are subconsciously, you know, in the back of your mind. And you know, you could say to yourself, like, "Whoa, like, I think I was dealing with a possessed person." You know, same thing would happen, like, with teachers in kindergarten mm-hmm. or first. Grade, you know, like, really bizarre, sadistic behavior. And and because I wasn't a normal five or six or seven year olds, like it. Five or six, I wasn't like a, a little kid who's thinking about what he's going to eat for lunch. I, I had to think about if I was going to make it home safely because my mom might not pick me up and I have to walk home. And I was just mm-hmm. – uh, somebody almost kidnapped me two weeks ago. That's how my mind worked. So when you're dealing with teachers and, and, and they're doing their little sadistic mind control on the children, I would see things that a normal person doesn't see, especially children. I would just say to myself, like, not then, but now, like, thinking about it, I'm like, was that person possessed? Were they just evil? Were they, you know what I mean? Like, and then when you, you, you start separating these things, you go, oh, that person's a psychopath. That person's demonically possessed. Alan is, is the person that really gave me clarity on this. If you take the definition of a psychopath, like, if, if you're a secular person, like, let's say I'm a therapist and I have all these degrees and I don't believe in God. And I'm dealing with someone, somebody that sold their baby to the crack dealer and the crack dealer killed their baby. You know, you would say that person's a psychopath. They have no empathy. There's something wrong with their brain, right? That's what a, a secular professional therapist would say. But a religious person would say, no, that's a demonically possessed person. And then if you took the definition of a psychopath or demonically, posser- demonically possessed person, the definition from the church and then the definition from the therapist and you put them side by side, they're identical. Mm-hmm. And so when I got older, I knew what I was dealing with. Like, you know, with principals and teachers and my mom and her, my mom's friends and it was like everything out in the world that I was dealing with, 
I was able to see it with a lot more clarity than anybody else could at my age because when stuff happens to you, traumatic stuff, you, you change. Even if mm-hmm. you're five years old, mm-hmm. if somebody tr- to kidnap you and rape you and kill you, you're not a little five-year-old anymore. The things That's why when somebody gets molested at a young age, it, it destroys it, it literally mm-hmm. takes the childhood from them, and that happened to me. Except I wasn't molested. I was, you know, I had a lot of traumatic stuff happen. Mm-hmm. A lot of traumatic stuff. So, when you're young, you have a, a higher ability to be in touch with your intuitiveness or psychic, you know, psychic abilities, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, clear, clear, see, because your brain isn't uh, screwed up yet, so you're more pure. And you're able to have more of a sixth sense than an adult, you know, mm-hmm. or a child that has a perfect life. And it was like all these terrible things that happened to me kicked that into high gear. It was like, I don't know, it just, it, it was something that I depended on for survival because, you know, my intuition and my ability to spot the traps and all these things that I had to deal with throughout my life, it, um, you know, it's it's just something that I. Alan will talk about that. Like, children especially are like extremely psychic when they're young, and I look at it as I had such a traumatic upbringing that was heightened. You know, it was it was something that um I depended on and I believed in it and it worked, and so I was kind of a step or two or three or four steps ahead of everybody else, even the adults. And I was able to see things in people that, you know, real subtle things, but you, you spot a lot of evil within people. And I'm talking about cops and teachers and principals and, like, people that you, we're taught are our protectors. And mm-hmm. it was like throughout my life, I'm looking around like, okay, like, this is insane. Everybody's evil, you know. And then you can go, they're a psychopath or they're demonically possessed, whichever – side you're on. If you're on the religious side, you would you would say they're demonically possessed. If you're someone that's secular, you would say they're, they're psychopathic. And then a, a regular person that doesn't know anything would go, well, how, why do you say that? And, and you show them the definition. You could get the books out, you know. And and, the, and anyone that has brains would be like, whoa. The, that, the signs and symptoms are exactly the same. And so... Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's an interesting there's a, a couple of things that I wanted to say before I forgot it but you were talking about your mother appearing to shapeshift in the kitchen and you oh, know this man, is yeah. yeah you know the people that they they get really fascinated with the idea that the royal family are, are reptilian that kind of thing and they'll show you yeah. all this video footage and they'll show you the eyes going crazy well all of this can be manipulated on Oh, yeah. a, a video, but if you actually see someone whose features seem to morph and you're sitting there, you're sitting in front of them, and Alan described that to me, I mean, in vivid detail with someone whose features, they were probably, I don't know how old they would have been at the time, but old enough, say, let's just say 40, and the, uh-huh. fe- the features morphed in front of him. Yeah. To from that's what happened to me. Yeah, they they went from being forty to being a, a little child, and the features. He said the features went so smooth on their face that they looked like a, a, a young child, and then 
just in a split second after that morphing, all of their features then went into a grizzled, old, haggard, old face of a very, very old person. He said it was, you know, I mean, it, the stuff like that sends shivers up your spine yeah. because what are you looking at? And that would happen with my mom a lot, or I've seen it in a lot of other people. And um, that's when I started to do research when I was older, and I was like, that's what they mean by a shapeshifter. They're, 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 not, they're not talking about lizards and stuff. That's like comic book stuff, that this is what they're talking about. And I believe it's it's demonic. It's, it's I don't know, satanic, whatever you want to call it. But um, Well, it's I, I'm just curious a little bit about your worldview because I, I would think with that much um, family dysfunction that religion of any kind, whether it was Catholicism or Judaism, was not a part of your upbringing. Okay, I had a grandma. God, I have, I have a really weird family. Okay, I'll try to explain it my dad is um, Italian and then he's a he's a not Romani gypsy but he's like some sort of like I think it's Albanian gypsy or something but anyways there's women on my dad's side of the family who like going back for hundreds of years were gypsy occultic women and and they weren't nice gypsy occultic women like they would do curses and they would do Necromancy and like just really bizarre stuff. And I had a great aunt who was like kind of in and out of my life, and I would hang out with her and go to like somebody's house to do a, um, a house cleansing, to where like someone th- maybe thought that they had a bad ghost in their house or, or a demonic presence. And uh, I would go and do that, or like I would be with her at a restaurant, and like a total stranger would come up crying. And and my aunt would put my hand on the lady and like tell her about her mom and, and her mom is giving her a message. Like this stuff was real common in in, in my family. Mm-hmm. These kind of people. Mm-hmm. Then my grandma on my mom's side of family was Jewish, and so I kind of grew up like you know eating kosher and like I. I if there's one religion that I understand the most, I know a lot about Judaism. I actually went to like a a Jewish private school for a little while, but this was all short-lived, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so, it's really weird because, like, I never really associate Judaism like you would Christianity to, like, this all-loving God. It, I, I associate Judaism as more rules and regulations, and, you know, and that's the kind of thing that worked for me, and so throughout my life, I would kind of pick and choose from that element because I knew it the most and apply it to my life because it, it, it would discipline and then the other stuff that I grew up around, like I grew up learning how to do palm reading and tarot reading and um, numerology, like to where if I'm, if, 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 if I'm not careful and, and people know about it, I'll end up doing things for people like the numerology charts and stuff because my aunts taught me how to do this and it naturally works in me. It's really weird. And so – I don't know. It's just, it's really weird. So like, I don't know. What do you, what I, I do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean by that, Giovanni? It naturally works in you. What, what does that mean? Like, okay. Like with, with, with gypsies, like, like occultic gypsies, like, you know, that you would read about in the old days that would do tarot readings or palm readings or necromancy or. Uh, what ne- necromancy or necromancy is uh, c- communicating with the dead? Is with that dead people, based- yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. So that would be yeah, like a seance or something like that? Or Yeah. Now, yeah. I've seen my aunt, 
like when I was like a little bit older, like eight or nine, people that we, we would be like, um, like this is back in New York, we'd be in a place called these Wal, like I was in a Walworth one time. This happened many other times, but like I saw a lady walk up to her out of nowhere, crying, like, you know, like, and she walks up to my aunt and she doesn't say anything. And she's looking at my aunt, she's crying. My aunt reaches out and grabs onto her hand and grabs onto her shoulder and starts telling this lady all this stuff that her mom wanted to relate to her because she had just passed away. And the lady's like, oh, my God, thank you. And it, and, um, okay, let me ask you was, a question, Giovanni. Was this a bit of a, an act with your aunt? Or were, did she have some genuine no, gift? Or, she uh, had genuine, like, extremely genuine gifts. Like she, but she used them cool. for dark purposes. She, like, most of the time. She was kind of both. She, she was kind of both. Like, she, like, in my family, there were, there were people in my family. It was really weird because there was a duality. They, 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 they could be. You were talking about your aunt's, the fact that sometimes she used her abilities for good and then sometimes she yeah. did bad things with her gifts. Yes. Not really like, like what I, okay, it's, I knew how real it was. And I and I knew it, there was nothing like to me and what I could feel going on was love and respect and like this. My aunt was like a beacon to this lady, and they, you know, and psychically she came to her, and my aunt helped her with something that um, you know, she needed help with, or otherwise she was going to have a panic attack and maybe. Jump off a bridge, you know what I mean? That's how crazy the lady was. Mm-hmm. And um, so my aunt was the real deal. Now you got to understand, she descended from gypsy occultist people going back hundreds of, of years—not 100 years, 20, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. This was in my family for, like, the women on the—I think it was Albanian gypsy side of my dad's family. This is how they fed their family this is this this was their job you know mm-hmm. so it was it was normal for me to have my aunt send me to a graveyard to pick up dirt for her to bring back mm-hmm. you know, from and then on my mom's side of the family they were jewish and they hated my dad's side of the family especially especially the gypsy people mm-hmm. and um but so i i, I was kind of in and out of both worlds i got to see both worlds even though there's a duality and a lot of people can say there's a lot of evil in both of those worlds, like a lot of it just made sense to me uh, instinctively and intuitively and clairvoyantly. Mm-hmm. I can't, you can't really put it in words. It was just like, you know, like when I had a bar mitzvah at 13, it just felt like it, it's just something that had to happen. And then like with my aunt, when we would go and do a house cleansing, and I would go with her, and she would have me go and get gravy, uh, dirt graveyard or, or certain kind of rocks from uh, a graveyard or even dirt or, or a flower or something from somebody's grave that has, you know, uh, like with numerology, like, a, you know, a, a two in their name, like weird stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That was normal, but I knew not to share it with other people because – 
they would they could consider it you know like just really bizarre stuff and so but this you this came naturally to you in that you felt from an early age that you had certain gifts that you had certain qualities so think i i did and then like i said now just going back to when all of this stuff started to happen like was a like i i remember it for this stuff really taking hold now it's not like i I was telling you that i had also a lot of uh paranormal and poltergeist and phenomenon stuff happen to me like so much so that you know like a lot of times i would have a night paralysis and in in People say it's called an incubus. It's, it's a demon that comes into your body at night when you're sleeping. And um, things like, like, I would have a lot of interactions with things that you'd consider from the other side, but whether it's an evil ghost. In, in, in Jewish folklore, they're called the books. The book. The book is the spirit of a rotten, evil, like, like imagine a Ted Bundy or like, you know, a child murderer, you know, mm-hmm. that's, they die, that spirit, it doesn't go anywhere, it gets stuck here, it's almost like no one wants it, and so the, the spirit gets stuck here, and it'll, it'll attach itself to people, mm-hmm. and uh, they're called the books, you know, and so I would tell, like, Somebody on my mom's side of family that was Jewish, like the older people who understood this stuff, um, and, and, and explained to them things that were happening, and, and they were like, oh, it's a dabuk, it's an evil spirit, you know. And, and so I would have situations to where, like, you know, let's say I'm seven and I'm having night terrors for a year, to where, you know, I'm sleeping and I'm literally battling with. You know, an evil spirit that's inside of my body suffocating. Mm-hmm. You know, in in like it's I don't know, and so I don't know if this stuff was brought on because of uh, my genetic connection or ethnic connections to certain things or whatever. But well, there's uh, I mean, there's an interesting thing that you talk about. I I, I think that. One of the things that I, I said earlier on in this conversation was that Alan had been around that he had a, a friend he told me about who I I believe that the details of the story were that the friend had been dating a young woman. They were teenagers and it was a, a normal relationship and it was going really well. But the it was at the time in the UK that witchcraft and Wicca was being promoted to the youngsters as a kind of a fun thing to do and to get involved in. Now, this young fellow, this teenage boy that that Alan was friendly with, he didn't know at the time that these poltergeist and other kinds of phenomena were happening to him. He didn't know what his girlfriend had just gotten into, but she had joined a coven this teenage girl, and she had gotten involved in all of the rituals and things that the coven was doing. And at about this time, then, 
the her boyfriend started to have very strange things where a piece of furniture would lift off the ground and you know Alan saw this so you know, <laughs> he was there for some of these um events and I think he was fairly cool-headed although it was crazy but he but his friend was going out of his mind and eventually it took him on a quest of you know diff- seeking different answers about what it might be and on, on this journey but eventually um, in the process over time they did understand so what I'm talking about are openings for entities you know you've got openings and some of these openings yeah I guess they could come from a family lineage and and passed down in that way but it's also I mean like in traditional demonology and by traditional I mean you know the Catholics always kind of had the the corner on that market so to speak for a long long time that they would talk about openings for evil Um, and those openings would be any number of things like um, I mean, I, I'm sure that some people might get rubbed the wrong way, but an abortion might be an opening or drug use or drug abuse or promiscuity or, you know, for different forms of deviant sex and, and drugs are very, very common openings for dark forces to work through. I shouldn't have beat around the bush. That, that was, that was normalcy in the world that my mom had produced. So what you were saying, uh, that's interesting because most people don't know that. Like if people are in a house doing drugs like methamphetamine or, you know, or, or they're doing, you know, the sick, disgusting stuff that humans do, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That does open portals and it lets things in. Like, for instance, when I told you, you know, I, I was a street guy growing up, so I, I was – I would be at places to where they were cooking drugs. They were, you know, making meth. They were making crack. They were, you know what I mean? They would mm-hmm. be doing these things and there would be pit bulls guarding the place and guys with guns and like really rough people that I guess you could say could do evil, but you know, they were just kind of in between. They could go between both worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, You could feel and sometimes almost see the present of things moving mm-hmm. around and sleep. You know, to where like it's goofy kind of saying it because most people are like, eh, whatever. But it, I don't know. Like I, I've been places to where out of the corner of my eye, you know, a figure darts off around the corner. You know, in it's happening at a place to where all of those things are happening at once that you said. You know, and it's like. Those things are drawn to, to those kind of places and those kind of people. And that was my life um, indirectly. I had no choice. Mm-hmm. And so... You say it sounds kind of goofy talking about it. I mean, this is the thing that, you know, that Alan said repeatedly on the air. And he, he, I mean, he said it over and over. You're, we live in a, a world now that has been successfully atheized. And a lot of, and, and one thing, you know, that Alan appreciated in particular about Catholicism, and, and this has changed to the point that, you know, they now have trouble finding people to be exorcists. And if they have an exorcist, yeah. then you have a hard time finding 
um, a bishop who will allow an exorcism to take place because, you know, we are living in a material world, eh? And that's what people want to believe. They want to believe in materialism. And um, so because of that, I mean, you know, I, I don't worry about people thinking, oh, well, this is goofy. This is a goofy thing to talk about. And how can you be serious? Because I know what I've seen. I've seen what I've seen. I've experienced what I've experienced. I've listened to Alan and, you know, with vivid recollection of some of the, the encounters that he has had. And, um, you know, I've watched, uh, I've watched well, a lot of, <laughs> I saw the exorcist. <laughs> okay. Let, okay. Let, let, let me, let me put it this way. Since we're going down that road, like, um, I'll, I'll just kind of open up. Um, I'm very intuitive and clairvoyant and psychic and whatever. Like I, I was, I don't know if it's a gift. Sometimes it feels like it's not, but one of the reasons why I've kind of separated myself from society and I do trucking and, you know, yeah, I'm, I have some stuff going on and I have to do this to make money. But the last, especially when COVID started, I used to tell people that were, you know, kind of close to being on the same page as me that uh, whatever's going on right now, this is the biggest demonic possession and infestation, like, if you believe in demons and the fallen angels and, you know, like, there's a huge demonic possession going on in me personally being intuitive and clairvoyant and having sixth sense and kind of being able to pick up on things that aren't cool or, you know, happy, you know, they're not kosher, these bad mm -hmm. energies I get. Mm -hmm. And being able to see things in people that I would rather just not be around, um, that's kind of what I have been experiencing, and I have this fear towards everyone and everything around me because I feel like, you know, when I go, like right now, I'm parked next to a store, and I'll go in there, and I'll just see and sense and pick up on things from people that, to me, it feels like they're not human, which would, mm -hmm. you would say is demonic. There's some sort of weird, demonic, crazy blanket that's been cast over the entire world. When I go around it too much and I'm, I'm, you know, hanging out with the average Joes and I'm getting gas and I'm, you know, picking up a soda from the store or doing whatever, I experience and see things in and in and in and around people. Not physically, like I don't physically see like a lizard man standing. Mm -hmm. up. I'm just talking about the energies and, and the energy, people. yeah. And, and and it makes me think back to like you know seeing kindergarten teachers doing sadistic things to little children. You know what I mean? Like all these things come back to me and I'm just like, uh -huh. yeah, I'm well, like, I mean, honestly, if we're, if we're going to talk about this, I want to go another direction just for a minute, but if we're going to talk yeah. about this, you know, Alan would always say, what are you seeing? What are you looking at? You know, are you looking at a psychopath? Are you looking at a possessed person? But you know, when we have to ask ourselves the question when we can look at all of the governments of the world, with a few exceptions, and, um, you know, some of those poor leaders were, uh, well, they conveniently died. We'll just put it that way. But, you know, most of them went lockstep into this program to make the entire world terrified of this whatever it was, and then to push this vaccine upon the entire world's population. And now we're watching fallout everywhere 
all around us. And it's not stopping, you know. I I can't walk into a store without hearing some ad, you know, hurry out and get your booster. And um, people denying it and then talking with a straight face, uh, you know, still about some variant or the next wave or whatever as they usher us into this fourth industrial revolution and their great reset and all of that, this... I think if if this cannot be described as evil, then what could be? That's exactly where I'm at with what you said. Like everything you just said, I see that, but it's multiplied by a hundred, and so I'm like just creeped out. Like yeah. you know, when I see when I walk into a store and I see pictures of a family and their children with face masks and they're showing off their band aid where they just got their COVID shot. You know what I mean? And I'm like looking at this and then I'm looking at people in the store and they still have masks on and then you hear on the loudspeaker, come and get your free COVID shot. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm literally having panic attacks and I felt how I would when I was a little child and I'd be in a situation to where like I felt like, okay, this is life or death. Mm -hmm. And I just want to get away from everybody and then I run to my truck and my boss will call me, and he's like, where do you want to go? And I'm like, just send me somewhere to where I don't have to stop driving for five or six days. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of, the, one of the things that I wanted to hear from you is the in-between part. So you went, you had this hellish childhood um, that you were traumatized by, and you were often a ward of the state and going through the Child Protective Services Program and all of that. And you're learning some of the dark arts from the family. And yeah. you're stealing cars and, you know, making your way on the street. And then some years later, you're in a better place. You've been listening to Alan. You're driving a truck. You have a daughter. What happened that allowed you not to follow the path of your mother and your father? What happened? Uh, I personally... Like, because, like, when you're really intuitive and clairvoyant and all these things that I I was, you know, I self-proclaim myself as, when you put things into your body that alters your brain, it's like with drugs and alcohol, it it doesn't have the same effect on somebody like me with my abilities or powers or whatever you want to call it as it would a regular drug person or something like that. Like, it it opens up things that I, I, I can't go there. I can't. I can't deal with that, whereas it does the opposite for someone that does drugs because it takes away the pain. It increases it for me. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. So it, I just never had that bug for it, and so that was one good thing. I, I never touched alcohol, and I never touched drugs. I, I experienced a lot of it, and that's how I knew, like, no, this, this could really not work out good. You know, it just doesn't uh-huh. do what – and – um. I was really into, um, because I was always a loner on purpose. When I would get around a lot of people, I would see and experience things that I would consider demonic for most people in and around me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just sick stuff from people. Like, people really made me sick in just what they did, how they went about their life, how they treated their family. And, and these are people that didn't have to do that, per se. And so I, I was always a loner. And I just, you know, I would, I was into working out and studying and just kind of doing things that would 
occupy my time and my headspace. And fast forward, you know, I, I ended up with a girl that isn't a very nice girl because, you know, you know the story. I, I have I had a daughter with her. I met this um, this girl, and she had a child. I'll try to hustle through the story, but it kind of explains how I ended up in the position that I'm in now. So, I the middle part of my life was pretty ugly up until about ten years ago. And mm-hmm. I'll have to tell you, it's too long to go into be crazy. But anyway, so I met this Russian girl. When I met her, she had a she had a son, and she was kind of rough around the edges. Uh, she was kind of a, a street person like me, you know, like she was in and out of the drug game and, you know, new gangster. You know what I mean? She was in that world, you know. Mm-hmm. She, she had been in prison and and I had met her and she was still kind of doing drugs and stuff, but she ended up living with me. She had this little, she had this little boy who I just kind of adopted and she would be out running the streets and she would leave her son with me for like a week or two weeks and so next thing you know I'm taking care of a child and I psychoanalyzed this because I had had such a rough childhood growing up um, like I just felt that I needed to protect this child and just be a dad to him you know Mm -hmm. and then once I started to do it I was like this is this is a good life you know what I mean like (laughs) well because and then I would Back to my parents, I'm like, what was wrong with these losers? You know what I mean? Like, this is fun. <laughs> you look, you clean, you, you like, you know, you buy them Legos and you step on Legos. And it's, and it's like, so I'm like, I, I adopt this little guy. His mom's kind of still running around on the streets and she's in and out of our lives. And at one point, she was like, if something happens to me, if I go to prison or if I get deported or, you know, like, she goes, I want you to take him because she wasn't in, in, on really good terms with her mom. I'm like, yeah, no problem. It just went on for like two years and I was raising this child, this little boy, and he started to call me dad. He didn't know any different. And um, then the mom, like, I used to kind of wish, like, I was like, you know, like, I hope she goes to jail or something and just leaves us alone. You know, like, we have a good life. You know? <laughs> yeah, I was like, like if she goes to jail, I was thinking about all these great things I could do, and like I, you know, I had him in Pitsu, and like you know, he, I had him involved in the Jewish community, and he's going to like these, he's learning Hebrew, he speaks Russian, you know, what I mean, like I have all these ideas, and I'm like, all I can do is get rid of this scumbag, his mom, you know, like so. Anyway, so she she ends up like kind of balancing back out, and she comes back into our lives. And, um, we had, we had a really good life. Like, I, you know, like I was making good money and like I, I got us a house out in the middle of the mountains and he was going to a good school and he was going to Hebrew school and he was, it, you know, like it was a really good life. got pregnant with my daughter in like I wasn't even trying to have a child like I had in Nikolai his name was Nikolai and um she like we got into a fight one day 
and and I was almost I was like I, I think it's time for me to split up and I'm taking him you know like or we're gonna split him or whatever but he's gonna be in my life but I don't think I want to be with you anymore and then the next day she she's like well I'm pregnant to me in my background in the kind of people I was around and the kind of women I had in my life it was like I can either have a child with this scumbag or I can have a child with you know scumbag A B C D E F G H L and then I was like, you know, but so I was like, my daughter will be bilingual, you know what I mean? Because, you know, she, my wife's Russian. and, and mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm like weighing all of the, 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 the good elements against the bad elements. It, it, if I was going to have a child regardless. And so I was just like, okay, cool. And so I devoted my life to like studying like the best stuff to feed the woman to make sure the baby's taken care of. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like... <laughs> Everything, like I'm waiting on my, my, my ex hand and foot because I want to make sure she's healthy so that, so the baby's healthy, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'm taking care of my family. I got a little girl on the way. <laughs> and I lost sight, like, like a man, when they're in that situation, like if you're a normal human being and you're not a psychopath or demonically possessed person, um, like, if you have children or you end up taking a child in like I did or something like that, it, it, it does something to you that is instinctively in you. It's in your DNA to take care of children and love them mm-hmm. and protect them, you know. And some people don't have that. Mom and dad didn't have that, but I did. Um, I lost sight on who my ex really was, you know, like I, I instead of. It's like the scorpion in, 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 in the frog story where the, the frog mm-hmm. gives the scorpion a ride on his back across the water mm-hmm. and then this, this stabs him and they both drown and as they're drowning he's like, why did you stab me? And he's like, well, I'm a scorpion. Like, <laughs> like what did you think I would do? <laughs> so I lost sight of the scorpion and was looking at everything how it should and could be instead of how it really was because mm-hmm. I was blinded all of my street smarts, all of my, you know, how tough I was, it was, uh, it was obscured because I was taking care of the children and the family. So she was kind of taking advantage of that and kind of setting herself up to make a move on me after she had my child. And it was just really weird because I had my daughter and then when my daughter was two and a half, my ex left me for some guy who inherited like $3 million. Like the, 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 every, the scumbag ex-wife story that you hear all the time. And um, as, as the story unfolded and I started to learn what actually happened, it was like, it was like one of those murder mystery shows that you watch, except that I wasn't murdered, but you know, it was like you start finding things out and you're like, that's pure evil. Like somebody mm-hmm. that could do that. To someone's taking care of them, and you know, and like, so I have my daughter. She's born. I was, you know, on cloud nine. In you know, my daughter was with me every day up until she was two and a half. And uh, my ex had been kind of setting things up, not really to like make a move on me for sure, but just in case, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he met someone and literally uh, disappeared with my daughter, and legally kidnapped her did did she uh, is this when she went to the to israel yeah so she left it didn't tell me where she went for a little while and um 
I literally was out on the road working, doing trucking, and like the day before, I was on Skype talking to my daughter and my son. And like my daughter was like head over heels, you know, with me. Like love, you know, she knew me like with, you know, Papa, Papa. And um, they just disappeared. She went to Israel for six months and I didn't know where they were for six months. Ah. Like they just disappeared. It, like it, that, okay, during that time, that was a moment in my life to where I was I was uh what what I, I was homicidal. I was mm-hmm. not I was dangerous. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And anyways, so that's when I got into listening to Alan obsessively like But you had already been you had already been listening to him, am I correct? Because I remember when this happened to you. No, yeah, yeah, I it, yeah, I was okay. but, all right. This happened. I was I was not stable per se. Right. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't notice from your emails. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what? What I did is I was like, I was like, okay, I could either do something really terrible. You know what I mean? I was like, I gotta, I gotta hold it together because I want to see mm-hmm. my children mm-hmm. again someday. I don't want to end up in prison for the rest of my life. You know, and I'm like weighing mm-hmm. all of these. Things. And so I got that. I'd already been listening to Alan, but I, I was like, you know what? This guy's changing my life. He's he's waking me up. He's he's like talking about things that like I think about all the time. I was like, I'm gonna work nonstop, and I'm just gonna listen to Alan Watt blurbs from the very beginning and not stop until I'm done. Mm-hmm. And so it it just became an obsession to where it was just so intriguing, and it was like you know I'm like getting. An education that you know most people pay five hundred thousand dollars for, you know, like to go to <laughs> Yale or Harvard. And um, so for that year, I ended up finding out where my ex was, and she came back, and you know, I had to get a lawyer. And so I had to go, like with me, how I was and how I was raised. I, I, you know, I wanted to go and take the children. You know, what mm-hmm. I mean? ten or fifteen years ago, I, I probably would have. You know, I mean, I probably something bad would have happened, but Alan and his talks and what I was learning and like knowing that it was going to help me survive what we're going through right now, it gave me peace, a peace of mind, and it made me a more decent person and a caring person. You know, Alan would always talk about doing the right thing and just being a stand-up guy. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I I got refuge in his talks and his lectures and what I learned from him and um, little by little I had a lawyer and we just started chipping away at this custody thing and you know after two and a half years I ended up with 50% joint legal custody Um, it cost over $150,000 but you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and so anyway so I've been going through reunification counseling my little daughter hates me because she's been brainwashed and uh I'm still fighting the fight, but that's how I really became engulfed into Alan Wadblurbs. It's like I had nothing, and I was, you know, I was, I was schizo. I was out of my mind. Like I could, I was gonna do something really bad yeah. to somebody. And, uh, so, are you, was, you? Do you have your daughter now for fifty percent of the time? I okay. I'm going through reunification counseling, and I've been doing so, it for two years. 
So you have to. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, you have to go through the counseling before you have a chance. Yes, and and I have over 120 sessions, and there hasn't been one successful session because starting at three, you know, when my ex disappeared and then she came back, you know, and and I couldn't just show up at their house or they called the police. Right. Two years. Two years went by to where my daughter didn't see me. From so from the time she was two and three quarters, almost three, up until five and a half, she never saw me. And my ex literally put this new guy in my position. And so after two and a half years of fighting for custody and I finally get it, the judge is like, you have to go through reunification counseling because the child's not going to know you. The very first reunification session, I walk in, there's a little five-year-old little girl, and uh, she says to the counselor, she goes, who's that? And the guy goes, that's your, that's your, that's your dad, Giovanni. And uh, she just went berserk, like went into, you know, like shaking and screaming and throwing stuff at me. And, you know, like it, it, was, it was obvious that my ex poisoned her against me once she knew – I was going to get 50% joint legal custody. And literally, for over 120 sessions, at $200 a session, um, I walk in, and my little daughter, who I think you've seen videos I've posted yeah. on the internet, who, yeah. you know, like, would crawl all over me like a jungle gym, you know, um, wanted me dead. I mean, she hated my guts. And she would, you know, throw heavy stuff at my head, you know. And so, and the the millionaire, the millionaire is still in the life of the ex. Yeah, you know, like it's so bizarre. She meets this guy, and I have no idea until my court stuff started to unfold. Like, you know, as you move along the court process, certain stuff has to legally be divulged, and so Mm -hmm. all of a sudden. All of a sudden, information gets to my attorney that she's married to this guy. And I'm like, what? Like, what? This is weird. And then um, he looks up, like, because he has, like, a private investigator that has a special website. He looks this guy up on the Internet, and, like, he's got, like, a couple DUIs from a long time ago. Like, he's not a... Like, criminally, he's not a child molester, you know, but he's, you know, he's got some a wet and reckless, like idiot shit and he's like a Mm -hmm. russian guy and then a newspaper article comes back under his name in in the in the city we live in in california and um it's a newspaper article about my wife's new husband he just won an insurance um thing against some guy that took out life insurance on his mom, murdered his mom in Mexico, tried to collect on it, ended up getting caught for murdering the guy's mom, and so the money went to the next of kin, which is him. And, like, he... It was just really weird because, like, he... Like, you gotta understand, I'm going, like, you know, I'm reading this newspaper article, and in 2016, he gets 3.5 million. And so I'm like... Yeah, that's about, I was like, about 2015 is when really weird stuff started happening in my life with her. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it was obvious to me she had already been kind of talking to this guy. 
it just all this stuff started to fall into place. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh my God, this this looks like it's been going on for a long time. And then what was sickening and weird about the whole thing is this guy's poor mom goes to Mexico with this guy that was her fiance, and the fiance's friend stabs her to death in the oh. hallway of the hotel room. Yeah, in in like there's video footage after the stabbing, the his mom's boyfriend is talking to the guy that just stabbed her to death, and he was trying to say it was like a random robbing. And so he got busted for setting up an, an insurance fraud to murder the guy's mom. Anyways, and so my wife's new husband ends up getting the money from the the murder of his mom because the the boyfriend set it up and it was fraud in, in, in California. The next of kin gets the money. And her son, my wife's new husband, my, my daughter's new stepdad, he voluntarily does an interview with the newspaper and it's like, you know, son of murder victim wins the battle against uh, so-and-so insurance company for $3.5 million, you know, and I'm like, who would do, like to me, I'm like, who would do an interview with the newspaper and, and tell him, you know, okay, he won all this money, but it, in regards to his mom being murdered in Mexico, I'm like, uh. who are you? And so yeah. all this stuff started coming out, and it was just, it was sickening, and so I lost my daughter, and I just been doing trucking to pay for everything. And um, well, you know, obsessed. what one of the things, Giovanni, that kind of amazes me here is your absolute dedication to your daughter. Yep. I mean, this you know, cool. that's really impressive because uh, you've been fighting this fight now for five years. Yeah, to see her six, six and, yeah. and you know she's not really a part of your life except for these reunification sessions which are kind of hellish and expensive but you're sticking at it and you're staying there in that town in yeah, the hopes that this is going to yeah this is I mean uh, there are a lot of men who would not do that but th- th- this is the thing I've psychoanalyzed this a lot and like I said, when you're a normal guy, when you're just a normal man and, and, and you have children and stuff like that, like there's something in you that you can't walk away from these things because it, it'll kill you. Like, you know, it's, I'm already like a piece of me has already died in this battle. But to like walk away and like meet someone else and go have another child, it just, it, that would hurt me even more. And so uh-huh. I feel like I have, you know, an obligation. But, um, it's also not a good thing because it's unhealthy because, like, this is my obsession. This is my life. And if I didn't have my daughter, like, when I had my daughter, even when I had my stepson, I loved him just as much as my daughter. When I had my daughter, like, when she was born, that was the first time in my life, like, I felt, like, like I've never been depressed or, like, oh, like I don't belong here. I don't want to live in this world. I just, I just knew how bad and evil this place was, you know? Like, mm-hmm. and, and I knew there were not very many people, like, not that I'm some super guy, but, you know, I'm not an evil, rotten piece of trash like most people. And when I had my daughter, even when I had my son and I was taking care of him, uh, it, it, I realized this is what life is about. Like, this is what humans are supposed to do. This is what's going to make you feel human and, and, mm-hmm. and live and want to contribute to the world and be a good person and 
do good things. I felt that with the children, especially when you you have a daughter born. But then I also kind of envy, like I think about my mom and my dad and how evil they were towards me and how, you know, they could lead me somewhere and, like, I almost die or something. And, like, I don't know, I just kind of look at them and think, like, I wonder what that would feel like to not be able to feel even something for your own child. And mm-hmm. Whereas for me, it's the opposite in... You know, like right now, 24-hour days, seven days a week when I'm awake, I have an empty spot in my stomach that you can only – only a loving parent can feel what I feel. I guess it would, I feel like I'm weathering and suffering through the birth or the death of a child, mm-hmm. you know. And, so, and, and there's no ending in sight. And mm-hmm. the more I do this – the more my ex bestows evil upon us by brainwashing my daughter, which is a very abusive thing. And just reverting back to like Alan's talks. So uh-huh. like, I've listened to all of his shows like three times each. You know what I mean? Like there's, I, I, I know his talks in and out, you know? Um, it's kind of like, I feel safe when I listen to Alan's talks because like, you know, he's warning you and he's doing, you know, he's preparing us. And I'm, I engulf, I, 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 and that was my life, and that's what got me through a lot of it. And uh, even to this day, you know, if I'm having, you know, if I'm not doing good mentally, physically, or spiritually, and whether it has to do with my daughter or like seeing people that, you know, I think are possessed, you know, walking <laughs> around these zombies and stuff, mm-hmm. I found refuge and safety and salvation and peace and protection. In hearing Alan's talks, you know what I mean, because I know what he's saying and I know what he's doing with those talks. But um, you know, he's you know, it's like this guy's being honest. He's not, you know, he's not like the, he's about as non-evil as it gets, and he's like a badass. He's a man's man, you know. He's like, <laughs> you know, like him like, well, he's talking about stuff that's so important. And um, I to this day, you know, the not a day goes by that I don't listen to his talks because I, you know, I feel safety in hearing what he has to say. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that made sense tying it all in together. It does it, make sense. It makes sense and I totally understand it. I I had yeah. that, that, that feeling too um, that his, his talks are a, a refuge and a solace for sure. Because, yeah, he's warning you about things that are going to save your life and just with me, like, you know, I, I know how evil the world is, and I, I see and sense things, and, you know, the stuff that happened to my daughter. It's like, I'm 44 years old, and, and you know, I, I, don't hang, I don't hang out with anybody, I don't talk to anybody. And it's by choice, it's not because I'm, I'm some weirdo recluse. It's just like, it's very seldom that I come across a human being that, like, doesn't do some weird, creepy, evil thing, you know, eventually. Where mm-hmm. I'm like, well, everything I felt for this person, or you know, it's like, yeah, you know, like this guy's, mm-hmm. this girl, they're, they're trash or garbage. Like, you don't do that if you're a normal person. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but, but I got out of why, you know what I mean? <laughs> listen, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So yeah, we're, we'll we'll have to talk a little bit more about um, the the middle part of the life and and more about uh, coming into Alan's talks and everything. But I think for tonight. 
we're going to stop recording and um, we'll figure out if there's music or photos or anything else that we're going to put in it. But I really appreciate you. It was an interesting talk. I... I want to um, talk again with you about some of the phenomena that you've experienced because that is, yeah. I've got a lot of those stories, and I'll just kind of focus on that and just really kind of, it's bizarre. It's it's interesting stuff. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it, yeah. Giovanni. Yeah, no, I had a great time in uh, any time you want to. Do one of these talks, I will figure out a way to take a day off and just devote it to making it work. Okay, all right, that's great. Well, I've got something that the world didn't 